0: I decided to go with the far more ambitious title than what I had originally intended. The Zapruder film is a hoax. While it is absolutely true that the Zapruder film is a hoax, and I intend to prove that point, what I have come to find is that you can only plant so many Neil Armstrong moon flags onto the Hollywood soundstage before the entire operation is thrown into question. The boys down at Langley would have everybody think... The second shooter is the cover-up, when in fact the very idea was, from the very beginning, a series of breadcrumbs, pigeon glitter really, intended to lead us off their scent and into a wonderland of ongoing belief in the credibility of the free press and the worship of patriotism. At its absolute core, the assassination of John F. Kennedy was a psychodrama intended for the alchemical transformation of America into the image of the beast system. But I can take that one step further. On November 22, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was never killed at all. What you are about to read has quickly sprouted into a two-part series, mostly because there is so much ground to cover. Its follow-up is scheduled to be released on the same day next week. Initially, I intend to pull back the curtain and hawk-eye the players surrounding the Zapruder film, including the filmmaker. The film itself will be scrutinized on the next go-around. So let's get straight to it. Here is my report. The Unexpected Cosmology, Episode 13. The John F. Kennedy assassination was a hoax. Agent Zapruder exposed. From the very beginning, we are working on the presumption that the Zapruder film is provably an altered document and is therefore a hoax. This isn't Burger King. You cannot have Zapruder your way. If forsaking a cleverly conjured whopper threatens to derail the conversation, then rest assured I'll be covering elements of his footage in the next go-around. When I came to the initial conclusion that the film was indeed altered, and is therefore not credible, my very first thought was to look into the man who gave us the one minute silent eight millimeter color motion picture that has been dubbed the film of the century, Abraham Zapruder. My serial reader probably knows by now that I consider the Wikipedia to be spook literature at its best. Spooks love to sell us on the grassroots in everything, the grassroots in feminism, the grassroots in the anti-war movement and the American Hippie, the grassroots in rock and roll and rap, the grassroots in postmodern art. They're all psyops, every last one of them, by which the Wiki is no exception. Its logo is an incomplete 3D globe earth model, by which they tell you, we'll fill in the missing pieces of your constructed reality. Should that have somehow flown right over your head Just know that I took another stab at the Copernican Revolution, because the Copernican Revolution is yet another hoax. At any rate, I decided to give the Wikipedia another try, as I so often do, and once again wasn't disappointed. The Wiki tells us that Sapruder was a Ukrainian-born Jew, wink wink, but if that's not enough, he was also a Freemason and an Inspector General of the Scottish Rite. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Zapruder was 33 degree. Wink, wink. Do pause and ponder that for a moment. 33. This puts Zapruder in the same league as Agent Mark Twain. Both President Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, Reverend Jesse Jackson, Billy, (laughs) Billy Graham, and Confederate General Albert Pike. Take all the time you need. Also, Earl Warren, the judge, as in the Warren Report. Warren was another 33. There is no possible way that Lodge Brothers Warren and Zapruder did not either know each other or know of each other beyond the film itself. Try not to let cognitive dissonance win the day. Already we can easily deduce that Zapruder was a spook. One of the ways in which the Wikipedia passes notes in class is by telling us their agent's role in the introductory sentences of each article. Here they write, he unexpectedly captured the shooting in a home movie while filming the presidential limousine and motorcade as it traveled through Daly Plaza. Emphasis is my own. We further learn that Zapruder worked on the fourth floor of the Dow Tex building, directly across the street from the Texas School Book Depository building from 1953 to 1954 small world. Learning about this obscure and little-known fact had my curiosity. One can't help but wonder if Agents of Pruder had scouted out the precise location of the upcoming ceremony. So I decided to look into Daily Plaza and this is what I learned. Seeing as how this is a podcast I'm a bit handicapped in the way of showing you pictures but that's okay. Probably everybody can visualizing their minds Daly Plaza in Dallas, Texas. I'm looking now this very moment at an aerial shot of Daly Plaza with everything in view. Try to imagine it in your head. I'm not sure when it was taken. It looks old enough. From this vantage point, we can see the grassy knoll towards the left of Elm Street. Badge Man stood within the shadow of its tree line. Just beyond the Bryan pergola where Zapruder filmed is the bland, seemingly lifeless building inscribed with the letters, Texas School Book Depository. From its sixth floor window, Oswald is said to have performed his part in the script. How ironic that it had only recently become a warehouse for Illuminati approved indoctrination literature for children. Directly across the street, we find the Dow tex building where Sapruder worked. Many have noted that Daly Plaza makes up the shape of a pyramid. This much is true, but only partly. On closer scrutiny, we shouldn't be surprised to find that Daly Plaza depicts the square and the compass of Freemasonry. Notice the obelisk, dead center, Uh uh-huh, the mysteries of ISIS. The obelisk was built in 1940 by the WPA. We are expected to believe that the Works Project's administration had apparently completely run out of sidewalks to pave and gorges to fill with bridges. Having nowhere left to turn in a Christian nation than reconstructing the high places of ancient occult worship. Dallas is located within range of the 33 degree of latitude which circles the earth. Israel is too. Probably just a coincidence. Oh, and one more thing. The plaza was named after a certain George Bannerman Daly. I checked. Daly was a 33 degree Freemason. The fact that Sapruder and Daly were both in Club 33 is not coincidental by any means. Clearly, Daly Plaza was built for the purposes of and chosen for a ceremony a worldwide psychodrama, hoax, the transformation of the nation. Alchemy, a weapon turned against us. In short, the Zapruder film was a psyop. I then thought this might be a good time to see if there were any other Freemasons involved in the JFK assassination hoax. I wasn't let down. We already know that Chief Justice of the Supreme Court Earl Warren was a Grand Master in 33 Degree Mason, but it doesn't end there. Every single member of the Warren Commission, except for Thomas Hale Boggs, was a Freemason. I've included a picture of Warren delivering his report to President Lyndon B. Johnson. From left to right, each Freemason is as follows. John McCloy, J. Lee Rankin, Senator Richard Russell, Congressman and later President, Gerald Ford, Chief Justice Earl Warren, President Lyndon B. Johnson, Allen Dulles, and Senator John Sherman Cooper. On the far right, looking somewhat shifty-eyed, perhaps perspiring under each arm, is the only non-Freemason present, Congressman Hale Boggs. In 1972, Boggs boarded a plane and disappeared over Alaska. He was never seen nor heard of again. Here it should be noted that Alan W. Dulles, the old man who appears to be staring at Boggs, plotting his demise, was a former director of the CIA and one of the masterminds of Project Paperclip. He has an airport named after him in Virginia. George Bush has an international airport named after him, and he was a CIA director too, but we'll get to him later. It likely will not surprise anyone to learn that J. Edgar Hoover was of the 33 degree. I once sat through a sermon where the pastor of a Baptist church moaned and groaned about conspiracy theorists who insist Hoover dressed in drag. He had amens in the crowd to back him. That pastor was probably a Freemason. Come to think of it, I had probably plopped myself down with several of them. Somebody named Arlen Specter came up with the magic bullet theory. And he was a 33 degree Freemason. But that's probably none of my business. By the way, here's something that the Wikipedia thought important to leave out from the Supruder film narrative. Zapruder wasn't only a 33 degree and a Jew. He had open ties to the CIA. Zapruder was an active member of two CIA proprietary organizations, the Dallas Council on World Affairs and the Crusade for a Free Europe. After discovering this little nugget of information, I decided to look into other members of either organization. Once again, I wasn't let down. Somebody named George D. Morenschelt befriended Lee Harvey Oswald in 1962 through the Russian-speaking community in Dallas and Fort Worth and hooked him up with employment, by which Oswald was soon thereafter fired. D. Morinschelt has therefore been targeted as one of Oswald's contacts, babysitters, and handlers. The most popular picture of Oswald, where he is standing in his backyard holding a rifle, is not only a fake picture, it was clearly, clearly set up for the PSYOP. If you are unable to chew on the following mouthful, that D. Morenschildt was fingered as a pro-Nazi, anti-communist, anti-Castro, German, French, and CIA agent, then I will kindly remind you of your failure to recognize that the world is a stage and everyone is reading from the same script. Dave Morenschild was a member of the Dallas Council on World Affairs. George H.W. Bush, future CIA director, vice president, and president, blah blah blah, was good friends with Dave Morenschild, and he too was a member. The future president named his son Neil after his mentor, Neil Newen, and Newen was a member. Clint Murchison, a noted Texas-based oil magnate and political operative, as well as the father of Dallas Cowboys owner, Clint Murchison Jr., was also a member. Oil tycoon H.L. Hunt was yet another. And then check this out. You've all seen the picture of Lyndon B. Johnson being sworn in as president while Kennedy's widow stands at his side. Sarah Hughes, she's the federal judge wearing 33-degree Freemason Lyndon B. Johnson in as president of the corporate United States while Air Force One is still on the ground. She was a member of the club. But that's not what I want you to notice in this picture. You're gonna have to look this picture up for yourself. Look to stage left of Johnson. No, not the woman wearing pearls. No, not the man in the bow tie. Look further left. The man nearly pressed against the wall of the airplane is none other than Jack Valenti. Jack Valenti played the part of liaison with the news media during the president's visit to Dallas on November 22, 1963. He was also in the motorcade with both Johnson and Kennedy. Within three years, 1966 respectively, Valenti resigned from the White House to become the president of the Motion Picture Association of America, a chair he would remain in for the following three decades. Now that we have mostly gotten our witch hunt out of the way, We are back on the subject of Abraham Zapruder again, perhaps only momentarily. We shall see. Before us is a photo of Abraham and Lillian posing with their most recent member of the family, a Howell 8mm movie camera. We're told it's 1962, but why be so obstinately gullible? It might as well be October 31st, 1963, with only weeks to go. More than likely, it was the sort of photograph one might slide into an otherwise empty envelope and mail to his friends, if you get my drift. It is not difficult to imagine a scenario whereas everything was already in order when Badge Man or the Babushka Lady snapped their portrait and the message read loud and clear. Let the ceremony commence. The Zapruder camera was perfectly positioned like a shaman or a maestro during his masterful stage performance. It was cleverly intended to block out the book depository building and whatever lingered behind the grassy knoll, essentially America's entire peripheral vision, so as to create the conspirator's mystery while completely hiding the illusions surrounding the narrative. We will turn now to the Wikipedia and read Agent Sapruder's timeline, according to the official narrative, in the hours before and after Kennedy's exit from the world stage. I shall pause only for a few comments. Let us begin. Quote, When he arrived at work that morning without his camera, Zapruder's assistant insisted that he retrieve it from home before going to Daly Plaza because the weather had cleared. They always tell you stuff like this. It's how spook literature attempts to make everything that happened during PSYOPS, like November 22nd, seem completely within the realm of the ordinary. No curtains whatsoever need pulled. In other words, Zapruder's part in documenting the most important film in the 21st century has absolutely nothing to do with his CIA ties or his ranking as a 33-degree mason and everything to do with a pet hobby, Super 8. Speaking of which, quote, Zapruder's movie camera was an 8mm Bell & Howell Zoomatic Director Series Model 414PD, top of the line when it was purchased in 1962. He chose to film on top of a 4-foot, 1.2-meter concrete abutment, which extends from a retaining wall that was part of the John Neely Bryan concrete pergola on the grassy knoll north of Elm Street in Daly Plaza. Zapruder's secretary, Marilyn Sitzman, offered to assist Zapruder as he suffered from vertigo and was apprehensive about standing on the abutment alone. There it is again. Agent Zapruder was incompetent and needed the continual encouragement of his assistant, a certain Marilyn Sitzman. Years later, when recounting why she was never called before the Warren Commission to testify, Sitzman stated, because it was the 1960s, I was female and I was young, and I was irrelevant. Something tells me she became a feminist, and that can only mean one thing, the CIA got to her. Also, emphasis is once again my own. Remember now, the narrative before us is the American dream gone apeshit. Only normal, everyday people need apply. The Wiki adds, Sitzman stood behind Zapruder and held his coat to steady him. From here on out, Marilyn Sitzman exits the story. Her role as the 1960s female but otherwise organic and irrelevant ingredient has played its part. Thanks for holding his camera steady, Marilyn. Goodbye. Continuing on. Quote. Walking back to his office amid the confusion following the shots. Pause. Zapruder simply walked back to his office amid the confusion following the shots? That's strange. Do me a favor and look at a photo. Any photo of the seconds following the assassination. If we're expected to deal with the realm of the organic and ordinary, then there's a lot that's very wrong with the unfolding scene. We shall deal with those issues in my follow up. Sure, Agent Sapruder's story checks out in any photo that I can find in the seconds. And I stress the seconds following the gunshot. He's completely absent from the Brian Pergola, from which he filmed only seconds earlier. The president was shot and he simply walked off. Everyone else remained at the scene to be interviewed. You think Sapruder would stick around to continue filming, perhaps turn the camera to the left towards the book depository building, simply out of curiosity, zoom in on a window, or meander to his right towards the grassy knoll. Witnesses present in every photo of Daily Plaza reported hearing multiple shots from both locations. Then again, had he done so, turned his camera away from the stage, the entire PSYOP might have been threatened. Continuing on, quote, Zapruder encountered the Dallas Morning News reporter Harry McCormick, who was standing near Zapruder and noticed he was filming the motorcade. McCormick was acquainted with Agent 4 Sorrells of the Secret Service's Dallas office and offered to bring Sorrells to Zapruder's office. Zapruder agreed and returned to his office. McCormick later found Sorrell's outside the sheriff's office at Maine and Houston, and together they went to Zapruder's office. Quite suddenly, we are introduced to Harry McCormick. His role is really quite minimal, as it's the handoff. If America was alerted to Agent Zapruder's connections, the entire illusion might be shattered. Contrarily, had Zapruder stuck around at the scene of the crime after their leading actor spit off in his Lincoln convertible, We can easily deduce that Secret Service would have naturally picked up his video footage. But that might also create an added problem for the official narrative. Zapruder could not remain. He could not continue recording. Had he done so, he might expose the few crisis actors they hired in Daily Plaza. Yeah, I I just went there. Everybody present was a crisis actor. But I'm getting ahead of myself again. Continuing on. Quote, Zapruder agreed to give the film to Sorel's on the condition it would be used only for investigation of the assassination. Already we need to pause again, because when the president of the United States is assassinated, you don't merely agree to hand over film footage to the government. During the September 11th false flag attacks, some 26 CCTV cameras from every gas station and hotel were confiscated and hidden from the American public in order that the airliner narrative get pushed forward. In 2001, confiscating video cameras was an issue of national security. Remember in our last episode on the polio hoax, when I said that capturing President FDR walking on video camera was a matter of national security? I think you get my point. Continuing on. The three then took the film to the television station WFAA to be developed. After it was realized that WFAA was unable to develop Zapruder's footage, the film was taken to Eastman Kodak's Dallas processing plant later that afternoon, where it was immediately developed. As the Kodak Rome process requires different equipment for duplication than for simple development, Zapruder's film was not developed until around 6.30 p.m. The original developed film was taken to the Jameson Film Company, where three additional copies were exposed. These were returned to Kodak around 8 p.m. for processing. Zapruder kept the original, plus one copy, and gave the other two copies to Sorrells, who sent them to Secret Service headquarters in Washington. You see what they just did here? Multiple copies, nothing altered. The Wikipedia assures us that everything we see in the Zapruder film was developed multiplied and then disbanded to a handful of participating parties, both government and civilian, within several hours of the assassination. We are to assume this was done for the purposes of historical preservation, investigative integrity and legal cross-referencing. They even dropped names, trustworthy consumer products like Kodak, to assure us of its authenticity. But do you really see what they did there? The film was transferred from Kodak to the Jameson Film Company where three additional copies were exposed and then returned to Kodak for processing. There it is again, the sleight of hand. Never mind the fact that the Secret Service would be swarming over this footage, and Agent pruder if he was a civilian, would have it taken out of his hands and never seen it again. According to the Wiki, Hugh Jameson of the Jameson Film Company got a start working for Thomas Edison. He is directly accredited with filming the New London School Disaster, a gas explosion that killed more than 295 students and teachers in 1937. By 1942, Jameson joined the Federal War Production Advisory Committee for the creation of military propaganda films. His film studio was located at 2212 Live Oak Street, only a mile away from Daly Plaza, and it's abundantly clear in 1963 that he hadn't finished his work for the government, because they're all agents. Continuing on, late that evening, Zapruder was contacted at home by Richard Stolle, an editor at Life magazine and first editor of Future People magazine. They arranged to meet the following morning to view the film, after which Zapruder sold the print rights to Life for $50,000. Stolle was representing Time Life on behalf of publisher Charles Douglas Jackson. The following day, November 24th, Life purchased all rights to the film for a total of 150,000, approximately 1,253,000 today. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yet another organic transfer. Capitalism and free press and all that, making the best of the American dream in the face of an industrial fan and a bucket full of ape stuff. For the record, General Charles Douglas Jackson, the senior executive of Time Life magazine in 1963, was a United States government propagandist. Even more so than Jameson, the Wikipedia describes him as, quote, an expert on psychological warfare, unquote. In his proof, Jackson was deputy chief at the Psychological Warfare Division during the war. Wiki writes, after the war he became Managing Director of Time Life International. Nothing to see here. I'm sure his tenure at Time Life was a vacation and much needed rest from his psychological warmongering. Despite the fact that Wiki nonchalantly adds in the same sentence that he went on to become an advisor to President Eisenhower on psychological warfare. Life magazine is a spook operation through and through. If you want to see the latest spook, then just check out who landed on the latest cover. As we have come to find, everything about that day is a lie. Everything. The Secret Service was in on it. The CIA was in on it. The FBI was in on it. The Freemasons were in on it. The Jews were in on it. The Psychological Warfare Department was in on it. The movie industry was in on it. The Free Press was definitely in on it. If I failed to mention Jack Ruby, Then no, the nightclubs were in on it. Even Castro and Khrushchev were probably in on it. Only Marilyn Monroe, who had already died one year earlier, according to the official narrative, can be deduced as being out of the loop. The JFK assassination was the perfect storm on the world stage. The entire script leading up to this moment directs our attention to the lone gunman. Even Kennedy was in on it. In the real world, after Toto has pulled back every possible curtain, Kennedy doesn't simply happen. Which brings up my next point. George H.W. Bush was in on it too. But more on that next time.